0: Uh, today's staff is Beitza bet Amadalif. We start actually at the beginning, of, we begin a new Masechet. Um, so let me tell you a few things about the mesechet. Um First of all, in summary shown him, although obviously in the ancient world um, books were named after their first word, um, hence the name of Parshiot and the name of the Svarim and the Chumash and so on, and therefore this is named Beitzah because that's the first word. Um, nevertheless, uh, in the na- uh, there were other names as well, and the Rishonim sometimes called this Mesechet Yom Tov uh, because really the uh, whole Mesechet, its a short Mesechet, but it all deals with aspects of Yom Tov. Um, the first, myth, the first base parak deals uh, a lot with muktza, and uh, muktza sort of scattered throughout the Gemara. A lot of it is in Shabbos, but a, a high concentration is in the first parak. Um, the second parakel begins um, with the discussion of um, of Eriqav Kashilin actually but gets into a lot of other like durabanans that are you know that are apply on Yom Tov the third parakel starts with uh, issues that relate to, um, actually, the malachos, what things are mutter on Yom because, you know, Yom you can do malachos, ochol nefesh. And then, as it continues, the fourth and the fifth parak, a lot of different, particularly, drabanans around the issues of Yom Tov. So, it's a lot about Yom Tov. Um, and not about Holomoed, that's a different meseches, that's Ma'od Katan, this is about Yom Tov, and Muksa a lot in the beginning. And the other thing that's really worth mentioning right at the outset is, that okay. that it's an enormous amount of machlokas based Hill, and Beish Shammai. Um, the Mishnaya, you know, it, you'll see string of, you know, Mishnah after Mishnah, strings of Mishnaya, which is just, here's what they Hill says, here's what they Shammai says, here's what they Hill says, here's what Beish Shammai says. There seems like, you know, in most of the sectos, the uh, primary speakers in the Mishnah are Rebbe they're like, you know, Rebbe Yehuda, Rebbe Mayer, Rebbe Shimon you know, they're the students of Rebbe Yehuda which is very late. I mean, that's one generation before Rebbe, the Mishnah was edited. Like Beitila Beit Hillel, Beit Hillel and Shammai were like a hundred years before Koran Abayi. Beitila Beit Hillel, Beit is still when there was a base of around. So what you're really dealing with is a lot of very, like, early early Mishnayot, not just early debates like it seems like there was almost no editorial hand here of Rebbe in a lot of these, it's really just straight, very straight and simple Behilobay Chamay, Behilobay Chamay, to on these issues. It's a fascinating question, right? Why was there so much Behilobay Chamay in areas of Yom Tov and not like in other areas? Um, I don't really know the full answer to that. But anyway, I think that's the other really distinctive part of the Masechet. Okay, so that's just a few opening remarks. Um, uh, relating to, uh, relating to the Masechet. Let's get started. Um, Beitze Shinolda Viyomsov. Okay, so what happens if you have an egg that's poured on Yom Um, Beitzali Beitel Lo says you can eat it, and Beitel says you cannot eat it. Um, why not? Of course, this is going to be the first discussion in the Gemara. Let's for now assume that it's a question of Nolaj, Shinolda, which is a type of an issue of muktza. It's something that was not set aside or could not have been set aside from before Yanta began, where Beit Shamai is not bothered by that issue. He says you can eat it and Beit Hill says you can't eat it. Now the question is why, if it's a muxa issue, then it should not just be a question of eating, it should be a question of moving. So, um, and we will find in some places that some things maybe you're not allowed to eat, but you still are allowed to move. Um, what is the story here? So we'll think about that when we get to the Gemara. For now, let's assume that we're saying both, if it was a mukta issue, that Beit Shammach says, not a problem at all, not only can you move it, you can even eat it, and Beit Hill says, don't eat it, but that also means don't move it. That's possible, but the, their primary discuss, you know, discussion here is about eating, and that's going to be a question, is this about a mukta type of concern, which relates also to moving, or or is it something that's fundamentally about eating, which is primarily what you would want to do with this anyway? Bechamai omrim. Now, bechamai said, and again, what I mentioned before about starting about a lot of debates of bechilah bechamai. The first mishnah opened by what clearly was a certain collection of bechilah bechamai debates. Um, which are joined together because they all relate to, um, to Yantiv issues. Um, but again, this is a, it it seems almost a little bit random. Um, let's take a look. But the other sort of, I should say, common denominator about these is not just Yantiv, but it's three areas in Yantiv where Beit is lenient and Beit is strict. Which is often goes against what we normally expect. So that's why clearly these were these three things were collected together. Um, um, Bechamai omis or says that the seur uh, sourdough yeast um, or sourdough, um, the amount that you need to transgress for owning it is a kizayit's worth, um, is an olives worth, which is and say and and normal chamit is kikokotevet is like the size of a, a pressed. Date, which is larger, um, so that's uh, and Beitilah. Um, I Beitil says Zev They're both Bekezayit. So again, Beitil is stricter because you you transgress even with a smaller amount. Uh, Beitshamay, I um, says, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Hashochei Now, let's say one of the things you're allowed to do on Yontif is cook. But for uh, for us, that's what we focus on: is cooking. We take the chicken or the steaks out of the uh, out of the refrigerator and take them off of their wrapping. And our only question is putting them on the fire. But for them, if they wanted to cook and you wanted some really fresh meat. So you go to the backyard and you shecht, you shecht a chicken on Yontav, okay? So, or you even shecht a, a, a you know, a, a cow. But let's say you shecht a chicken or a chaya. You decide you're going to have venison. You shecht a deer. Um, one of the things you have to do is cover the blood, okay? That wouldn't be an issue for a cow, but it would be an issue for a bird or a deer. And you did it on Yontav. So now, not related to the necessity of eating would be covering the blood. That's a mitzvah that you now sort of tangentially came about, but it's not specifically related, doesn't, it doesn't allow you to eat, it isn't part of the process of eating, so what do you do? Do you cover the blood or not? So, you can actually dig with a like a shovel, a hoe, or a shovel, and you can cover the blood. So, with the dirt, so A, presumably disregarding muqtza issues of the dirt, which we saw before, but perhaps even more serious, like digging a hole. Um, Unless you already had, you know, set aside dirt from the day before that you don't have to dig and it's not mukta, you set it aside for that purpose from the day before. By the way, although we tend to think that, you know, dirt is prep is moksa by its very definition, uh, it's not true. If you set it aside, it's not an issue. If you have a sandbox, you can play in a sandbox on Shabbos and Yantam. So The sand is set aside for play. Okay. Okay. Alright, I don't, you know, don't really dig a hole in the sand. I think there's a bigger problem about it, putting right? water in it and making it uh, into mud and shaping it. Yeah, does a hole a stay. It's a little thing, grooving in the sand. If it's sand. I don't think that's an issue. Anyway, but the problem is water. Anyway, umodim, and they agree. Okay, so anyway, Beepillo really did not give, if you think about it, did not really give a straight answer answer. Because, okay, don't do it. And if you did it, so what does he say? So the next line says, umimodin Shahim Shachat they agree that if you shechted, that you can dig with a shovel. So the simple read of this Mishnah is that their only debate is whether you're allowed to do it if you don't have it prepared. But if you actually did it, everybody agrees that you're allowed to dig to cover it. Um, now this last line opens with a shin, because, but it seems completely um, not yeah, not connected. It says, everybody agrees you can dig and cover it with a shovel because the ashes from your from your oven are Mukhan is the opposite of muqtza. So, meaning those are not muqtza. Okay, so that's all fascinating, which obviously implies the idea like, oh, if you wanted to use the ashes for your oven, that's a good alternative, because that's not considered to be muqtza, but, yeah, but, but then why do you have to dig with the shovel? and Why not just say use the ashes of your oven? The simple read of it is, again, the grammar is funny, is that the ashes, it's sort of saying, you know, either have the, the, the dirt pre-dug, or if you've got ashes, use that. But if you don't have any of those alternatives, then go ahead and dig. Interesting question, why fair would be, why ashes, you know, of the oven would be considered muchan. When did they become ashes? before Yontav or on Yontav, because you'd be obviously having a fire on Yantav. So that's an interesting question as well. All of this to be explored, as you see, two out of the three cases, you know, have definitely strong MUXA types of concerns or NOLA types of concerns, although the digging obviously raises other issues as well. Yes? Perhaps we'll get to it, but you, uh, I recall you mentioning that you were saying you couldn't set aside the, the eggs. Uh, is that prologuing because it's like not there? Because I can mean, have my mind. All right, I know this chicken is. Yeah, so and, well, you, you can't really do a hana on nolad because the whole part of nolad is that it didn't exist beforehand. But we'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit more. Actually, we'll see a minute in the Gemara, and I'll mention something relevant that Tosa springs in. So let's take a look now in the Gemara. The Maya What are we talking about? If you say, meaning what is the case of this, uh, of this hen that is, uh, has an egg, that the egg could possibly prob- be problematic. If it's about a, a hen that is set aside for eating, uh, meaning what you, you, why are you raising all of these chickens and hens? Are you planning on turning them into meat or are you planning on having eggs? Um, so, and the Gemara assumed that you would obviously have different, uh, you could say you haven't made up your mind yet, but, you know, uh, the Gemara assumes that you would have different intentions and maybe treat them differently. I mean, we know now in the whole, you know, industry of egg production and meat production, I mean, they really have everything, you know, I mean, it's, it's whatever, it's, 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 it's troubling to even talk about how, um, I don't know, can you say inhumane about animals, but anyway, how inhumane it is, but they obviously have them, you know, if they're going for eggs, and they have them a very particular setting in order to you know produce eggs and if they have an, you know for meat they have a very different type of a setting so the Gemara assumes that at, that you also would have a different designation and know what you are planning on using it for so what type of a hen are we talking about yes well that is so what it's going to say yeah, yeah, that is what it's going to say, but it's going to say the status of the egg depends on what you are planning on doing with the chicken, and which assumes that you have a plan, it's taking for granted that you would divide your chickens based on the egg producers and the ones that will be uh, eventually turn into meat. So, when I ask, you know, what type of cases are we talking about? if we're talking to go a hand that's set aside or standing for eating, meaning that you're planning on using it for food. So what would be the reason to be strict about the egg? Here, as was just said, it's just food that's separated from fruit, meaning the whole chicken is basically like, you know, uh, 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 like uh, halakhically, it's unshechted food, but it's food, unprepared food. Okay, and then this egg was born to it. That's a piece of food that came out of a piece of food. Um, so, um, you know, why should that be a problem? So Ella, I got to tell you, I think I did this once before when we did something else similar in the Da There was a great uh, far side cartoon with, like, you know, Farmer B- Brown surprises the animals in the uh, barn, and, like, they're all sitting around this uh, diagram of a person, and, you know, there are, like, these different sections, and it's cut into, like, different <laughs> cuts. Like, this is the choice meat, and this is the loin. <laughs> so, anyway, so that's what it is. You're looking at this chicken, and it's a piece of food. Here's the bread here's the thigh here's the vest here's the wings okay so it's a piece of food so this is a piece of food that separates from another piece of food why should it be considered something new there's nothing new about it although you didn't see the egg before conceptually it's just a a piece of it's like a leg fell off why should it be a problem Ella and again, remember that on Yontiv the chicken is considered food because you can shech it. None of this would be true on Shabbos, but on Yontiv you could shech the chicken, so the chicken is unprepared food. It is not considered muqtza. It's considered something that you have access to that you could use. So why is it a problem? Ella We're talking about a hen that is set aside for laying eggs. So therefore, the hen itself is not is muxa. It's not considered something that I have. Reason to be using on even on yontif, right? It's just there. It's an egg machine. So I have no use for it on yantas. so the egg is something that came from something that was mukta and the egg is something new so why should it be so, so that's true that explains why it's a problem so then matamai the Beit Shama What's Beit reasoning that says it's okay mukta it's mukta and shouldn't Beit agree that there's a mukta problem right it comes from something that is not that was itself mukta, and presumably this is an extension of it and this is mukta as well so the Gemara says umai kusha why is this difficult Maybe the Shamai doesn't hold of the whole category of Mukhtsa. So maybe that's exactly the debate. You hold of Mukhtsa or not? So Mois says no. Kasal Daitin, we are assuming that the Afilu the even the person that doesn't hold of the category of Mukhtsa, right? Maybe that's a shock to you that there could be some Tanayim that don't hold of Mukhtsa. But yes, there are. Uh, even, but we assume that somebody, even somebody who basically doesn't believe in the, category, in, in the whole halacha of Mukhtsa, so, nevertheless, the Nolad Aser, we still say Nolad, is a different story, right? And here it's interesting to take a minute to appreciate some different key words that we're going to have, okay? First, let's talk about the, this pair of words, which is Muchan and muksa. okay? Now, Muxa means that it is set aside from before Shabbos. Muksa is the opposite. Muksa is sort of pushed away, off-limits. Okay, you could say chukzah set aside also, chukzah would mean but mukzah also, but mukha means that you're preparing it for use, Muktza often means that you're designating it or pushing it away, designating it as something you don't want to be using. Okay, now there's a huge gap between muksa and mukhan, which is everything else in the world, right? There's the things that I sort of know that I'm planning on using, and I basically, or maybe implicitly assume I'm going to be using on Shabbos, right? my silverware, my plates, and my food, and my clothes, and all the types of things that I would normally expect to use. That's mukhan. Then there are the types of things that I am maktzeh and that I push away and what are those types of things uh those are things like uh you know um uh, um, first of all, things that I can't use on Shabbat, you know, my matches, my money, um, things that um, I don't want to handle because they're very uh, 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 fragile, my Ming Vaz, you know, my uh, Picasso hanging up in my living room. So these are the types of things that, like, I assume, like, off-limits, off, ha- off limits, I don't want to use either in general, or you know, or you know, I have cases about you're drying food out on the roof, maybe not related to Shabbat and the These things are things that are, like, off-limits, you know, I don't generally want to be handling them, or maybe they're off-limits because, you can't handle them on Shabbos or Tov. Like a chicken, a hen that's around to lay eggs, is muktza because you don't want it because you, you, know, you have no purpose of handling it. It's, it's an egg-laying machine, and you, know, you have no reason to be handling it, right, on um, on Shabbos and Yontif. Um So those are the things that are then there, But there's a huge gap. There's everything else in the world, right, that is not implicitly planned on being used and not implicitly being pushed off from use, right? So what's the halakha about that? Do you have, need something to actively be mukhan or something only a problem when it's mukha'an? That's an issue we're going to get to throughout and we'll get to a little bit when we turn to the Yom Now you have a new category which is called nolat. Nolat is something which is like brand new. didn't exist before. So what Gemara is saying is the following thing. I might not hold that any of this stuff, I might not hold that there's a problem at all, because even stuff that basically I have assumed I'm not going to use or, or implicitly, explicitly pushed off, I put it up on the roof, this food to dry out, and I'm basically assuming hands off until it's done with the process. Nevertheless, at the end of the day, it's all, you know, objects under my under my control and i in theory why, why would i ever not you do know, want to restrain myself from using anything right you know uh, you know i have control over my entire environment so maybe implicitly, even if I'm mocked to it, it's not really something that is considered to be off limit something that is not accessible to me. But something that gets created, that's brand new, that didn't exist before Shabbos began, that is something that you cannot say was sort of ever in the realm of something that when Shabbos began it was theoretically able to be used. Okay, And therefore, the idea of saying, uh, of saying nolat is a problem in a way, you know, is, is that you need the things to be, when Shabbos began, to be, at least in theory, I could have planned to have used this on Shabbat. Something that, so even things that are muktsah, in theory, they were under my control. But something that's NOLA doesn't fall into that category at all. And therefore the Gemara is saying, even if you don't hold of muktsah, we assume you're going to feel that nolat is a problem. Okay, and that's the third idea, which is no lad. So I think if you look at Rashi, Rashi says this much more succinctly than I did. Um, Rashi says like this, um, uh, right atop, on top of the. You see the the, the line on top of the Gillian hashas with like the uh, like like the little like three circles um, on the far right. So if you go one line over that, the line starts word the elu in Rashi. It says the By muksa, even if it's something that generally you wouldn't be touching, like you know, your Mingvas or your fruit sprang out, you never in a, at a deep level want something to be out of your access. You never fully push <laughs> something off. <laughs> Noah didn't even exist. So he couldn't even say theoretically it was something that I could have wanted to use. Okay, so that's a more serious category that maybe you know, even if you don't know the no nolad is something that completely did not exist. So the Gemara says, so we're assuming that that bechamai a Kasaka Let's read that again. a man shari benolad Even if you allow no nolad, you would agree would be forbidden, and we can't understand why bechamai would allow this um, if it was a hand that was set aside for eggs that should then be nolad. So the mercy says, mai vaychama. what's do I reasoning. So Amr Avnachman, so says, which is probably the easiest read of the Mishta, Laolam, the It's like we were assuming just now. It's a hen set aside for laying eggs. The Islay Nolad, the and the one who holds the mukta obviously holds Nolda as a problem. But you know what? The one who rejects the idea of Muksa rejects the idea of Nolad as well. Categorically, there's always an interesting question, right? Which is, if you're debating, do you agree in principle but you disagree in the application or you fundamentally disagree? <laughs> the Gemara said that, that we assumed everybody held of NOLA, It meant you fundamentally agree there's an idea that things have to be ready before Shabbos begins. You're only debating the application, the particulars. You might say, things that you guys call mukta I don't think that those really are considered not ready. It's in the world. It's ready. No, that's not ready. But in principle, you agree that there's a pro- an issue of things being ready when Shabbos begins. But the Gemara is saying, here is no, actually, Beit Shammai rejects it in principle. There is no concept of something having to be ready from before Shabbat. And therefore, even Nolad is not a problem. Because they don't know the muktzah and they don't know the nolad. They don't know the, this concept at all. So therefore, who cares if it wasn't ready before Shabbat? It's okay. And therefore, the debate of Beit Hillel Beit Shammai is that Beit Shammai considers this to be Nolad and therefore a problem. Excuse me, I said it wrong. Beit Hill considers this to be nolad, and therefore a problem, and he holds of all these, uh, all these categories of nolad and mukta, <coughs> and Beit Shammai doesn't hold of nolad, doesn't hold of mukta, holds that everything is totally fine, who cares that it's a new thing. Now, again, I try to say that the Gemara frames this as like a, as a categorical debate. Of course, the, one of the big problems we're going to get to when we learn uh, this sugya is that nobody has, like it's n- like statements that sound very categorical, there are always a lot of exceptions. So, for example, we're about to introduce an idea that there's a position of Rebbe Shimon. This is much later. This is Hamide Rebbe Akiva. Position of Rebbe Shimon that the Gemara says, Rebbe Shimon leifle muktza. Doesn't hold of Muksa And then you said, you know, asterisk, except for the five times what he does, okay? So, <laughs> uh, so even though Declare says that Beit Shammai doesn't hold Mukhs and doesn't hold the Nolad, Tosus points out a few places where Beit Shammai does have some problems with some things like this. But we're not going to worry about fitting that all in. Now we're going to accept it as a, as a categorical exception. Another important difference about the idea of Nolad is a point that Tosus makes. Michael sort of asked this question. There are degrees of Nolad. There's something that sort of the 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 matter if the physical matter existed I mean okay the physical matter the egg existed but from it wasn't like it wasn't like in our domain you know it wasn't sort of it didn't exist for us Um, but the physical matter existed but something new got created out of it. Right, and that could be a concept of NOLAD. Um, if you, I don't know, you take uh, something that was ink and paper and, now, and you turn it into a newspaper, I'm this is that NOLAD, right? Because it didn't exist sort of in this form. Um, what the, but there are ideas of NOLAD where the, uh, sort of the, the materials existed, but then something new was created out of it. This idea of the beta is an even more drastic idea of Noah because it's like, as far as we're concerned, the egg didn't exist yet. And now it comes into existence. This is obviously more <laughs> drastic and that's a point um, that Tosos makes, just to be aware that there are different degrees of these things. So okay, coming yes. existence from something that already exists c- includes changing form. Right, and or it could. Like the, so question is, so the question is, the question is what degree of changing form? Some, for example, post think that water into ice, um, or ice into water, is no-odd. I don't think that, you know, I think that that's a very weak position. It's based, uh, whatever, I don't want to go into what it's based right. on. But, you know, that's like a simple state change, right? Right. You know. as uh, so, 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 Right. So, so. But state change is obviously also different than combining combining <clears throat> different materials and creating something brand new out of it, right? So right. ink and paper, now you have a book, right? So, so anyway, there's different degrees of no-odd. Yes, Here, oh, so that is a very good question. And by the way, that's part of the point that Tosus makes as well, which is, if you actually know that this hen is about to lay an egg, and you say, I know it's about to lay an egg, and I'm making an announcement, I am planning on eating that egg. I am setting aside the egg that's inside the hen from before Shabbat. So, excellent question. So, it's dealt with Tosus, And the basic answer is, is that that doesn't help. Because since it doesn't exist, you can't set it aside. It is funny, because it's like, not visibly accessible to you, it cannot be prepared and set aside. It's like it doesn't exist, so it doesn't matter sort of what your intention is. But again, you know, there might be cases where it does. So it's always, these things are not absolute, but those you know, addresses exactly that. Yeah. So it sounds like it's the same answer for those who say, if you check the chicken on hogs, yeah. You cut it open and there's a whole egg and uh, you can eat the egg. So we're gonna deal with that. But if it was a hen so that, that, was, that was, was set aside like but method. it was se- yes, but if it was a hen that was set aside with God them then, which is what we're talking <laughs> about right now so then then, that then that you wouldn't they, be able to check it. It you would you be able would to check. Anybody. But that's already the word it says is okay even when it lays the egg. If it was set aside, if it was set aside to be eaten. Right? So that and that's the last point that I wanted to make here, which is which is important, about that the Gemara says it's, not, it's only considered no nolad if the hen was set aside to lay eggs. Now, as opposed to set aside to eat. Now, you intuitively might have thought the opposite. You would have said, set aside to lay eggs, I know an egg is coming out. Like David says, right, so it's not no nolad, I'm planning on eating. It's set aside to eat, I'm not expecting it to lay eggs, oh, that's something new. So very, it's, it's a little strange that the Gemara assumes the reverse, but here's the idea behind what the Gemara is saying. If it is, you know, if it is set aside to eat, then the head coming out is not seen as something different (coughs) from the chicken it's like when it was in the chicken it was part of the food of the chicken you know part of the chicken as a piece of food and now it's just a piece of food that sort of grew a little bit or came out a little bit but it's not like conceptually different although physically you didn't have the egg in front of you before it's not something new in terms of this like real halachic man you know you're going around with these conceptual categories so although physically it's new conceptually it's not new it's just a it's just a piece of food that fell off from another piece of food whereas if I have a henland machine, although I expect I, me, an egg-laying machine, although I expect it to produce eggs, an egg is something different from the machine, right? The machine is there to make the eggs, and the egg is what it's producing. So this is conceptually something new and different from the machine that produced it. Okay, that's sort of the concept behind it, but again, it is a little surprising. Okay, so let's take a look. There's a distinction between Shabbat and because talking about an egg that went Shabbat. Yes. Are assuming you're going to eat it raw. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good question about food that's raw and so on. But you could eat a raw egg, and that would not be a problem. But Shabbat is a problem. So that would not make it more problematic. But Shabbat is more of a problem because you couldn't eat it from, because the, 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 in all cases, the hen would be out of your reach because it wouldn't be theoretically edible on Shabbat. Okay, so now let's continue. So the commercial says like this so where are we okay so Beit Shammai to Rabbi Shimon so now again it's a little bit funny that Gemara is making an association based on Tanoim that came much later but for the Gemara the category of those that don't hold of Muktzah is Rabbi Shimon who says Rabbi Shimon lately Muktzah. so Beit Shammai to Rabbi Shimon Beit holds like Rabbi Shimon who Beit to Rabbi Uda and Beit goes like Rabbi Uda who holds of the category of Muktzah. okay very easy explanation of the Mishnah do you hold of Muktzah and Nolad or not did Rav Nachman really say this that by Shammai doesn't hold a and they does that's none we have a Mishnah you have the bones left over from your chicken and the uh, shells left over from your walnuts and now they're on the table are they Muktzah? there's no use for them now of course Tosa says that uh, points out the question is are they fit to be eaten even by dogs um, Razi says no Tosa says yes but they're still considered Muktzah." Because they're not, or they might be considered muqsa because they're not fit to be eaten by humans at this stage. So what do you do? Um, so Beit Shammai says, you can pick them up, clear off your table, no problem, pick up the bones. Beit I mean Beit kula says, No, you can take the tablecloth or, you know, the table, is talking about the tray, and, you know, shake it out and dump the tray into the garbage, but you cannot directly handle. Why? Some interesting, this is an idea called tiltu so you, by muksa, you're allowed to move things indirectly. Now, there's a whole range of why, you know, what defines indirect, or when is something just an extension of your hand, a goof as opposed to a side. Don't worry, we'll get to that. But the basic idea is you're only handling it indirectly, and that gives you much more latitude. Tosus, also, Tosus asks, what about the issue of buses? You might know this idea that if you keep something, you know, you put something on a place before Shabbat and it was there all Ben hashmashos, right? Let's say something that was mukta, like the candles burning, you know, on the <laughs> candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> so the candlesticks also become Muksa because they were a base of support for Muksa. The easiest answer here is that this stuff wasn't on Ben Hashemashos. It got produced on Shabbos itself. But anyway, that's Betil. Betil says, it's a Muksa problem, move it in directly. Betil says, so that's perfect it works, for, works in perfectly with our Mishnah. Beit Shammai doesn't hold of Muktzah, and Beit does hold of Muktzah. So everything would have been wonderful, except along comes the same Rav Nachman, and look what he does. The Amr of Nachman, and Rav Nachman says, Anu, Ein Lanu, we don't hold of like this version of the Mishnah. The only version we accept is, Ela, Beit Shammai to Rabbi, Huda, or to Rabbi Shammai goes like Rabbi Yehuda, Beit Shammai is strict and goes like the position that there is muksa, and Beit goes like Reb Shimon that there isn't, and basically he reverses the opinions in the Mishnah. Beit says that you can remove the bones, and Beit Shammai says you can only indirectly move the table and shake off the tablecloth, shake out the tray. So, Rav Nachman, you did yourself in, you explained this Mishnah, which you can't switch around, because this Mishnah clearly is Kulay Beit and Chumrei Beit This Mishnah where you said Beit Shammai doesn't hold a muktzah, you have another Mishnah that supported you by Shabbat with the bones, and you reversed it. So how are we supposed to make sense of this? So let's take a look. Amalacha Rav, Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman will say to you, Gavit Shabbos, by Shabbos, we have a Stam Mishnah Relating to Shabbos, that goes like Rebbe Shimon, that says there, that there is not a mukhzah problem. What's the mission about Shabbat? Now nah, we're talking the Mishnah. The Mishnah BeHema. You can chop up raw gourds before animals um, in order to make them edible. Now that's not, that's not a Muktzah problem. The gourd was was plucked before Shabbat, whatever pulled out before Shabbat, um, or plucked um, and grows on a vine, right? Gourd. Yes. Okay. It was plucked before Shabbat, uh, but it is a problem. You might have thought it's a problem because it's like you're making something that's not edible in that current state by chopping it up. You're making it edible. You might have thought it's a problem, but no, you're allowed to do that. It's now considered an unnecessary Torah or other, another problem of making food. That's okay to do it for your animal. The um, And this is the relevant part for us. Let's say your animal, uh, your, your cow drops dead on Shabbat. Okay? Or, um, so, the, it's Muktzah. It's, it's you had no use for your cow on Shabbat, right? You couldn't have checked it. It wasn't Yantav. And now, what you, can you take this dead carcass and chop it up and make dog meat out of it and feed to your dog and feed your animals on Shabbat. So the Mishnah says, yes, it's not bothered with a muktzah problem. Okay? Even though clearly this was something that was not set aside from before Shabbat. So that's a Stam Mishnah that doesn't hold a muktzah. So therefore, since that Stam Mishnah doesn't hold a muktzah, we're going to assume, and we assume the halacha is always like Beit Hillel, so we have to align Beit Hillel with that position. That on Shabbat, there's no muktzah problem. So, muking mwa le be'zilel Shimon. So, therefore, if we say by Shabbat, Be'zilel goes like rabbi Shimon, there is no mukta problem, which is consistent with the Sam Mishnah. Aval, Gabe Yom um, Tov, turn the page, Better of a bad, by Yom Tov. The Sam Lantanik Rebbe Yehuda, there, the Sam Mishnah by Yontav goes like Rabbi Yehuda that there is a, that there is, that there is a, is a mukta problem. Where's a Mishnah by Yontov that, that assumes there is a Mishnah problem? None. We taught in a Mishnah in Vesa, a Mishnah we're gonna see later on. Amen Bakin co wrote, if you have beams that are set aside on a construction site, And now, it's the middle of Yontav, and you say, you know what, I didn't prepare enough firewood. Let's go to that construction site, let's assume it's not Gaza. Let's go to my construction site, and take some of those perfect beams, and use them for the fire. No, I mean, that's Mokhtar, Mokhtar's set aside for the construction purposes. So you can't do that, you can't shop those beams. The loam, you know, or let's say, uh, you know, a roof collapsed on Yontav. Can you now go ahead and use this bean from the collapsed roof on Yuntav? That's sort of like the animal that died, right? When Yuntav began, it was like, I'm, I have no use for the beans that are part of my roof, but now that it collapsed on Yuntav, now it's in a usable state. But when Yuntav began, it wasn't. So that's a mukta problem, and it says, don't do it. So we have the animal dying on Shabbat, no problem. The roof falling in on Yuntav, problem. So, what's the explanation? It must be on Shabbat we hold of Muksa and on Yom Tov we don't hold of muk. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. On Shabbat we don't hold of Muksa and on Yom Tov we do hold of mukhsa. No. So, it must be that there's a difference between Shabbat and Yom Tov. So, he says, therefore, so let's take a look. So, by Shabbat, the star Mishnah is like Rebbe Yehuda that holds of, uh, of mukhsa. I'm sorry, I said that wrong again. Did I say it wrong? No, I said it right. Uh, no, excuse me, by yeah. Yom Tov, by Yom Tov, not by no, Yom no, I'm sorry, I'm no, confusing myself. The. Got it, let's start again from the top of the top. By Yom Tov, the Stam Lantanek Rebbe Yehuda, by Yom Tov, the Stam Mishnah is like Rebbe Yehuda, this is again a Mishnah in Vesa, you don't chop it from stuff set aside for like to be, you know, construction beams, by Yom Tov, and not from a beam that wrote, so that Mishnah holds a Moksa on Yom Tov. So, Mokinwa would be Hillel to Rabbi Yehuda. Rather than saying that the Stam Mishnayot are not in agreement, we're going to assume that the Stam Mishnayot are intentionally Stam, and therefore are the Halacha, and therefore the Halacha is, and we also assume the Halacha is like Beit so we see that the Halacha is, that there is no Muktzah by Shabbat, there is Muktzah by Yom Tov, and we're going to adjust Beit Hillel to be in line with that. So our Mishnah that says, by Yom Tov, Beit Hillel holds a problem, that there is a problem of the Beit of Dab Yom Tov. That's where Beit Hill holds a problem. Fine. That's the Mishnah about the beans falling in on Yom Tov. And Yom Tov is like be- is, that, there is a problem, uh, that there is a problem of Moksa. By Shabbat, we have this issue about the animal that died in the Neveva. It tells us that there is not a problem of muksa on Shabbat. So we, this debate of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai about picking up the bones on the table, we're going to reverse the positions to get Beit Hillel consistent with the halacha, that there isn't a problem of Muktzah on Shabbat. So now we have to ask, what is this bizarre idea that there's a problem of Muktzah on Yontav and not on Shabbat? Okay, so let's take a look. So the Gemara Good says, question. one minute, <laughs> Why on Tov is the Stam like Rabbi that there is a problem? The mission about the beams falling in. So, and, and not, I'm sorry, skipped the line again. Maishna, so let's take a look, four lines from the top. Ma's who is the one that chose which Mishnayot to make anonymous, and therefore to have the weight of authority? Rebbe! It was Rebbe Ura Nasi! Shabbat is Tamlan for Rebbe Shimon. Why by Shabbat do he choose to have the anonymous Mishnah embody the position of Rebbe Shimon, and say that it was not a problem when the animal becomes, dies on Shabbat? Umar Yom Yomtov and why in Yomtov did Stam launch Rabbi Yehuda? Did he make the Stam Mishnah like Rabbi Yehuda and say that on Yomtov, um it, on Yomtov it is a problem by the case of the beams falling in. Why is it not a problem on Shabbat and it is a problem on Yomtov? Why did Rabbi adopt a- opposing positions? Uh, um, so the Gemara says, like on me, you'll say Shabbat is strict, so people are not going to make it treat it lightly. So sometimes, Rabbi Shimon he paskin like Rabbi Shimon to make your latnini. You don't need to have muktz on Shabbos. You treat Shabbos seriously enough. Tov is more lenient. You can do all these types of things. Besides, it's more lenient at the punishment. It's not like Thai Misa. It's only a low tabse. But also, you, you have a lot of latitude. You're shafting, You're cooking. So there's a lot of reasons why you might a little bit... I mean, for us, you know, we do such, so little even on Tov. Like, I'm always having this debate with my wife, which is like, you know, she cooks all the food for Tov ahead of time. I say, you're allowed to cook on Tov. I say, I'm going to buy some steaks. Put them in the fridge. Come, Yontav, I'm going to grill him up. So, <laughs> and I think, smart, like, I know I hear like, you like on Rosh Hashanah, they have like barbecues, right? Okay, so imagine that not only were you doing that, you were going out to your field and shechting your chickens, right? So, obviously, on Yantiv you have a lot more latitude, so there's a more likelihood you'll forget the Kiddusha of Hayom, you'll forget the sense of restriction. So where, therefore, we're going to have mukta and limit the types of objects you can interact with, which makes a lot of sense. If you're very conscious of the objects you're interacting with, you're much more conscious of the fact that it is yonta. So therefore, Yomta, we go like Rebuda Yehuda, Now I want to say two things about this, um, about this issue. First of all, right, the Gemara uh, is almost a little bit, a, a little um, aware that, or what it's framing it as, it's not like there is a Tana out there that holds of these contradictory opinions, whatever, these different opinions from Shabshin. Rebbe made a conscious choice to say, I'm going to paskin, you know, like Rebbe Shimon on Shabbat and not have Moksa, and I'm going to paskin like Rebbe Yehuda on Yantiv and have Moksa. So it was Rebbe who decided to have this split vote. So then it's pretty funny, because then presumably Beit Hill and Beit Shammai never split their vote either, right? It was only Rebbe who finally decided to have this interesting split vote. But still, if we want Beit Hillel at the end of the day to go according to Halakha, we're going to reverse who said what to make Beit Hillel consistent with halacha. It Seems very manipulative, right? Why not just assume Rebbe? You know, Rebbe had a split vote; it wasn't earlier. But we wouldn't want Rebbe to pass against Beit Hillel. But again, did the Gemara really think that Beit Hillel held the opposite position, or was it just we have to do that? We have to we have to reassign Beit Hillel to make it line up with the halacha. So that's like one interesting question. Now, if you think that sounds too manipulative. I want to read to you a Rashi, which is Rebbe deciding to make a Mishnah a Ska Mishnah, right? What does that mean that he chose to make it a Ska Mishnah that it should be, have the weight of authority? So if you take a look, like I would say, okay, by doing that, he communicated to us, this is the position that I hold of, and maybe it's the fact that he held of it gave it weight. but if the Shulchan Aruch passed in a certain way, and that book becomes accepted and canonized and so on, then that's where it carries <coughs> the weight. But we all know it's the <coughs> opinion of the Shulchan Aruch. is communicating to us his opinion by deciding which Mishnah to make, Stam to make anonymous. But look at what Rashi says. Rashi says something which is uh, harder to get your head around. He says, um, four lines down in the narrow lines, <laughs> Man Stam Lama who was the one that decided which Mishnah to make stam? Rabbi who see Mishnah. arranged the Mishnah. Um, notice by the word a word arranged because a lot of the pre preexisted, and a lot of what most of what he was doing, or almost all the Mishnah preexisted, was just arranging them. The Hanir Eb When he, when one of the when one of the opinions seems correct in his eyes, Shina'an Stan, He taught it anonymously. Although he's umro did not mention who the author was, Alehan. Today, Pi it should not be attributed to a, a single opinion, just one person's opinion. To give the impression that this was a consensus opinion and everybody would follow it. So not just to communicate to us how he passkins. He did it to make us think it was a consensus opinion. I don't know what to say about that. Like, you're duping, just, we're supposed to, you're duping us, you know? Maybe you could reinterpret Rashi to say that he gave it the voice of consensus. We all understood it wasn't the consensus, but he gave it that voice. But anyway, it's a quite strange Rashi that seems like Rebbe was trying to deceive us that, that this was a, you know, a consensus opinion. Yes. Um, there was Amorite discussion about that Mishnah in Shabbos. Yes. And if I remember right, they rule with Rabbi Shimon, Well, right. This is a question about how in the end we rule, but now we're working within Rav Nachman. So let's just review what we've said. We basically have said that Rav Nachman takes an easy explanation of the Mishnah Beit Shammai doesn't hold of mukh, Beit Shammai doesn't hold of muxa, Beit Hillel does. It actually is consistent with other Mishnayot in Shabbat about Beit Shammai not holding of muktzah and Beit Hillel holding of it. But because Rebbe Paschim differently in Shabbat and Yantav, there's not been also, you know, rearranged the position by Shabbat that is consistent with the plaque of Rebbe. That by Yantav there is muktzah and by Shabbat not. But in terms of explaining our mission, it's really quite simple. It's a debate of whether there is muktzah. Beit Shammai says, no, Beit says, yes, maybe it's specific, maybe Yom Tov is different than Shabbat, but at least by Yom Tov, that's the debate. Let's see where the Gemara goes on. It says like this. Um, okay, what have you said that our mission is talking about? The Tarnagolas, Ometas, Ogada, base Himer, a chicken that's out to grow eggs, um, and that, that's set aside for growing eggs, for laying eggs. Umishu and it's a problem of Mukza, and that's the debate if so says the Gamara, Adnifli debate why are they why are they debating, you know, just the egg? debate the hen itself as you chose to eat the hen. That's also a the problem. And say Beit Shamai says, Fine, and they told says no good. says no. To tell you the strength of Beit position. To be no lad but he, he is so lenient not only does he allow the hen which he is only a muqtza problem he even, allows the, the, he even allows the egg which is no luck that's how he, he lenient he is so the Gemara says so tell us the case of the hen to show us how strong they is. That not only do they forbid the egg they forbid the hen so the egg is a bigger they're so lenient they allow the egg but tell us the hen which is a bigger they're so strict they don't even allow the hen so, the mercy says, you'll say no. The power to say something is permissible is greater than to say it's forbidden. Like Rashi, anybody could say it's forbidden. You know, oh, I don't know if I used to do it or not. Better not to do it. So, it's always easy to say it's us. It takes real conviction and real belief in your position, you know, to say that I'm going, I'm going to allow it. I don't think it's a problem. So, we'd rather tell you how, how powerful Beit Samai's position is. They even allow the egg. So, um... Uh, I, I just have to say, say about this. It's always easier to say something. Rabbi Love tells uh, a story about, I forget who it was, but some big post in Rishalayim, you know, that, uh, anyway, like he, uh, there's this book out of his like one-line answers. Anyway, so somebody asked him like, you know, can you play basketball on Shabbat? So he said, what is this? You know, and so he said, you know, so he said, (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, anyway, uh, um, all right, so anyway, so why not tell us the principle, uh, why not tell us the principle, uh, so maybe that's why you say the egg, to show you that Beit Shemai is so lenient to even allow the egg. So that's why, that's why we're focusing on the ads. Moses says, no, I'm not satisfied. Why not still debate both of them? It would not be a lot of effort to include the hen in the discussion. It's not like a new thing to point out. All you have to do is just modify the Mishnah a little bit. Why not say the following? to go If your hen is set aside for he you sasa, and it said, tocha, be either lo now of course it's a lot more words, Pesa-shanolda-byomtov is three words. This is a lot more words. But the point is, it's not like really a different scenario. So just discuss the hen itself. It was really about muxa. We'd be discussing the hen itself. So now the Gemara is going to abandon Rav Now I have to tell you, that's a pretty weak answer to abandon, which is a pretty straightforward interpretation. We see Baythil Bachamay debate about Musa. It's a pretty straightforward interpretation. One of the things that, that 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 it seems like the psalm is doing is that there's a lot of interpretations of the Mishnah. And rather than just saying says this is what's going on, Rabbah says this is going on, So says so, so this is going on, it's going to give us a reason why we have to now look for another explanation. You know, so it says, "Ah, oh, Rav doesn't work so well, it should have mentioned the hen, let's try to get another explanation of the Mishnah. But it is really a weak reason to reject a very reasonable, strong reading of the Mishnah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's see, what the Gemma, but the Gemara is going to use that as a way now to get to another read of the Mishnah. So the read number one is a hand set aside for eggs, and that it's an issue of for laying eggs, and it's an issue of muktza. Yes? But when the, when the Stab does that, it's part of its agenda, perhaps, to introduce these categories that you wouldn't have thought Exactly. Of. Particularly it's in an, an opening sugya. Ideas, right. right. And particularly in an opening sugya in particular. But here again, you know, sometimes what you see is in the Yerushalmi, this whole sugya could be three lines. You know, it could be, you know, Rav Nachman Amr, you know, Bitaran Golah, so it matters God is going to say X. So-and-so, somebody else is going to say, why? It'll be, the whole thing will be, uh, there very three opinions, move on. And here we have a whole narrative exploring these ideas and then giving us a reason like, to move on to the next idea. So, but you're right, we're trying to present all of the ideas. So Nazim seems to be a very straightforward read. Let's see where the Gemara goes now. It sounds like this. So the Gemara goes like this. Um, I'm a Rabba. Let's, uh, let's go back. Where the, the, where the, the hen was set aside in order to be eaten. And therefore, it's not Nolag, because it's just like a, a piece of food coming from a piece of food. So what's the problem? Actually, we're talking about a special case, or the special case is the, is the reason behind all of this. What's the special case when Yontav comes after Shabbat? And the problem is that it isn't prepared. What does that mean? The cassava Rabbah, and here's that idea of Hakan I mentioned before, Rabbah holds, Cold dates the any egg that was laid today. Now, Esmo was already finished yesterday. Um, so it was already ready to come out yesterday. Um, and, let's just line up all these things and then I'll unpack it. The Rabbah time, a goes according to his reasoning, the Amar Rabbah, because rabble says, It'll be on the sixth day they will prepare what they're going to do, right? The Torah had already said, right? It already said, do all your cooking, do all your baking, so why do you have to again say, prepare? It already said, do all your cooking and baking. So to tell you, um uh, chom making the Shabbat, Weekday has to prepare for Shabbat. On a weekday, you have to prepare for Yom Tov. Yom Tov cannot be preparing for Shabbat. And Shabbos cannot prepare for Yom Tov. So, what does all this mean? So, if it meant you actually doing the cooking and so on, so, you know, that obviously you can't, like, cook on Shabbat to Yom Tov. You don't need Rabbah to tell me that. The Chiddush here is about something like this, which is it was prepared, but you weren't the one that prepared it. You know, you weren't like violating Shabbat in order to make something for Yontef or violating Yontef to make something for Shabbat. No, it was just this thing that was growing naturally in the chicken, the egg that was ready to be laid. But what, you, what is not a problem that you did some act of violation, but the reality is this egg, if you want to use it on Shabbat, it has to be prepared from beforehand. And it cannot have yunta being the time when this egg became now ready to be used from Shabbat. It has to be ready on a, on a preceding weekday. It's a, it's, it's a hard idea to get your head around, because as Rashi points out, you would think if there's a problem for Yuntiv preparing for Shabbat, the bigger <coughs> problem should be for Shabbat preparing for a Sunday. So how can I eat an egg that's laid on Sunday? I, can't, I shouldn't have something that sh- was prepared on Shabbat for Sunday. But again, the problem isn't, the way Rashi frames it, that somehow the the douche of Shabbat was violated because this egg was being prepared. Then it would be obviously a bigger problem it was prepared on Shabbat, you know, Mm -hmm. somehow that was violated Shabbat that the egg was being prepared for something. It all happened automatically. The problem is not a sense of violation. The problem is, the way Rashi says it, is that the Torah gives kashivut weight to the se'udah of Shabbat and the Sudat of Yom Tov. Um, and therefore, for something to be able, and this is might be talking specifically about things about eating, and remember the egg, the mission did not talk about moving the egg, it talked about eating the egg. So the point is, if you want to eat something for Shabbat, you want to eat something for Yom Tov, you have to, you know, it's like Rav Salvation had this beautiful line, he said, in America, we have a lot of Shomer Shabbos Jews. What we don't have enough of is Shomer Erev Shabbos Jews you know, but what Erev Shabbos is like, you know, what it means to really see Shabbos as coming and prepare for it. So if you want something to be part of your Shabbos meal, you have to, it has to be prepared, not even by you actively, but ready, you know, objectively from before on a, from a weekday. And it can't have been ready even on a yontif that precedes Shabbat or Shabbat that precedes yontif. It's weekday is when you do things, and when things have to be done and ready to be used, or a meal of Shabbat and Yom Tov, So that's the idea, <coughs> even though it's not about you doing an action, even though it's about something passively. This is called Hachana de Rabbah, which is, Rabbah sees this based on a biblical verse, on a possum, you know, might even be a diorita, according to Rabbah, but it's not the same as all the rabbinic area of Muktzah you know, exactly what the overlap is and how far he would extend this. But this, again, has a real focus on the su'udah of Shabbat and Yom Tov. Maybe it's only a problem of eating. Maybe he would say you'd be able to move the egg. Maybe it's only an eating problem because it's about the se'udah. And it is this idea that things you're going to use... Now, look, to some degree, when I put on the board, a lot of mukta is. You have to prepare things from beforehand so the question becomes well is Rabbah saying that all categories of muktah are hachana and so on so again not necessarily this could be specifically in areas of food and the meal and preparing for it and that has to be ready from the weekday, and this egg wasn't ready. This egg gets, is ready the day before it's laid, and if Yontif preceded Shabbat, or Shabbat preceded Yontif, it wasn't ready on a weekday, and for him, that is a real problem. One day. one day, yes. Charlie, you have yeah, question? So if you can't prepare an festival for Shabbat, and it's biblical, how can an Eruvah... Uh, Okay, that's an excellent question. So Tosus asks that. So Tosus says, if even by it happening by itself you can't prepare, how can we cook from Yom Tov to Shabbat? And Tosus says, and this ties into the point I said before, there are degrees of, like the same way there are degrees of Nola, there are degrees of Mucha if the raw materials are all in front of you, and they're just like lacking preparation, you know, now of course it's a little funny, because the Pesukim talk about But tosos nevertheless, he says, I'll read the line in Tosfus, he says, he says, These things, if They were there, all you need to do is fix it up as opposed to the egg, which came totally brand new, right? Which is sounding, again, like this type of a no lot issue. Um, but you are right, it's a little bit strange, because the whole psukim are about cooking and so on beforehand, and now we're saying, no, this idea really, you know, is an idea of it's just being existing beforehand, being prepared in the sense of existing beforehand. So it really limits the idea of rabba. but it's a very good question. The other thing I should point out is that who mentioned Yantav? The Psukim talked about preparing before Shabbat, right? And by Yantav, you're allowed to cook. And so for Tosos, it gets also into this question Tosos is always asking is, did the man fall on Shabbat or not? Right? Because since you can prepare and do stuff for food on if the Psukim never say it didn't fall, which then leads to the question of, do you have Shehalechon on Yontev? Major position in Tosos that you might not need Shehalechon on Yantav because you didn't have a double portion of the man on Arab Yantav. Anyway, this is Rabba's explanation. Let's just quickly wrap this up. It says like this, the so Gemara says, Amaliyah Abaye, so Abayi said to him, El-Amiyata, um, So, okay, but I'm actually talking about a regular Yontav. So I understand that's your paradigm case of a Shabbos preceding Yontav, but a normal Yontav should be okay because the, the egg was finished the day before. No, Zayra Mishum Yontav Shabbat, we're not going to allow any Yontav because of the scenario of when Yontav comes after Shabbat. Shabbos to Amatish should be. Now, a normal Shabbat should be allowed, which is a little funny because a normal Shabbat, the hen is Muktzah. but okay. Shabbat after Yontav? No, because of. Uh, also, we're concerned about the, about the paradigm case of when Shabbat follows Yantav. So, basically, saying there's this paradigm case of Yantav after Shabbat. Our mission doesn't allow even a regular Yantav as a derivation of that. Um, so this is certainly the most complicated explanation. One more line do we really make these types of because wrote, that time and we taught them bright and here's the question that was raised you shechted a hen on Yontov and you found completed eggs in the hen and this presumably was a hen that was set aside for eating Okay, so again it's a part of the hen it's food you can eat it all right, so mar says the Isa, if you have this idea of Rabba that even by a hand set aside for food, the things have to be prepared from beforehand. So it sort of says like this, I get that when it's in the hen, it's considered to be part of the hen, and we don't think of it as something different, okay? And therefore you don't say, oh, a little bit of the hen put on some fat the day before. There's like a little fat that was put on. I get why in principle it's allowed, because it's not seen as something new. But if you make zeiros, <inaudible> So we should make a that you can't eat the eggs inside the hen, because of the eggs that will be laid. And we and we don't allow the laid eggs, we shouldn't allow the laid the eggs in the hen. It says no. iman finding unlaid eggs in their mother's uh, womb, where when you shaft it is something that is not common. I if it's a womb, whatever. Uh, it's not a womb, it's, just, it's not a mammal. And something that's not common, the rabbis did not make it to So again, although it's this whole complicated explanation of of, of Hachana, it really is a type of a no but the nola is that it was something new was created and it was created, you know, finished being created the day before and that's a problem when you have yontov backed with Shabbat but from there we're going to forbid every case of yontov even by itself. A hard explanation both because it makes it a special case and because the exact idea behind Rabbah preparing automatically not your own preparing but it being prepared by itself as Charlie points out you're allowed to cook but you can't have an egg finished it's a hard idea, but the we'll move on from this tomorrow to look at yet another explanation. Okay? And with that. The only